You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll explore the anatomy of a hero and take a look at the unique calling God has placed on your life to love others. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. I'm hoping we can spend a little bit of time there. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Some translations say it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan came, or a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you got nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also did his son and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks This water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, well, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. As we study this passage together, I want to talk for a few moments about the anatomy of a hero the anatomy of a hero. Now, if you follow um, the Marvel or, or X-Men or other superhero series, I don't know if you were like me when I was a kid. I used to read comic books, and so uh, I, I enjoy what's happening now in the theater in terms of bringing these uh, heroes to life in a very unique way. And whether or not you're into superheroes and comics or whether you are just a a casual moviegoer, one of the things that should be obvious to you about, about heroes is that what makes them heroes is that they have particular attributes. They are made a certain kind of way. There are things about them that make them special, make them unique, make them, in fact, heroes. For an example, Uh, When you consider Superman, you consider the fact that he's got some unique attributes. He's made a certain way. He can fly, and he's got X-ray vision, and he's even got heat vision. He can shoot like heat rays out of his eyes, and he's super fast, and and he can hear from a far, far, far distance. And and then if you consider somebody like uh, Wonder Woman, for an example, uh, Wonder Woman has got superhuman strength, and, and she's durable. She can, she can go through all kinds of battles and fights and just get back up. Now, this new kind of woman, Wonder Woman, the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman, can fly. Now, I grew up with Linda Carter, you know, uh, and, and that, that Wonder Woman could not fly. So I don't know how, I don't, I don't have the explanation for how that Wonder Woman to this one can now fly. But the new, new Wonder Woman can can fly, and she's got superhuman speed and all kind of reflexes. But then Batman, on the other hand, is a little bit different because Batman, you know, is, uh, is, is a hero, but he's a hero by virtue of different attributes. You know, he has genius-level intellect, and he's in peak physical condition. Uh, you know, he's got uh, kind of an expert um, kind of insight into being a detective or a super sleuth. And, and Batman is, is really cool. There are things that come easy to Superman because of the way he's made, but Batman gets to use all of the high-tech equipment. But the point that I want you to make is that it's, it's their attributes. It's, it's those unique things about them that, that make them, in fact, heroes. And while it is easy to understand that as it relates to the heroes on screen, I want you to also understand 
that you and I have been made, in fact, the same way. That God has crafted us, molded us, shaped us, given us gifts and talents and callings because we are called to be heroes. Now, I know that some of you may be looking at yourself and reflecting on your life and thinking, well, I'm not that much of a hero But that is, in fact, why we always, every week, promote growth track. We want every person that's connected to our ministry to experience growth track, to go through growth track, because growth track is is uniquely designed, it's uniquely set up for you to really understand and, and, and have an encounter with God in four particular ways. We want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. But then we ultimately want you to discover your purpose. That's the reason that God puts you on the planet in the first place. There there are no other individuals on the planet like you. When God created you, he broke the mold. And God has given you unique abilities, unique talents, a unique calling. And we want you to discover what that is for one particular reason, which is the fourth component of growth track, so that you can make a difference. So that you can go into your particular areas of influence on your job and your career and the places you travel and things you do and ultimately be a hero for God. And so all of us are called to be heroes. This notion of us handing out these desired by God cards and and really trying to make a difference in the community, while it might be new for some of you that maybe have come from traditional church environments that maybe didn't emphasize making a difference and being the arms and the feet of Jesus in the community, but, but it is not new to our calling as believers. As a matter of fact, when Jesus gives uh, what is known in Matthew 4 as, as the calling of the disciples, He literally makes this heroic call. He says, come and follow me. This is Matthew 4, 19. And I will make you fishers of men. He says that what I'm going to do, Peter and James and John and and, and others, is what I'm going to do is I'm going to help mold and shape you to be the hero that I know that God's called you to be. And that's not just a calling for the disciples. That's a calling for each and every one of us. So I want you to understand that. Because that calling is on you. Look at someone around you and tell them that calling is on you. That that calling is on you. You are called to be used of God to make a difference, to be a hero. And so then the dominant question becomes, so then what is is that like? You know, Superman's got the cape. I don't have a cape. Help me understand the anatomy, the attributes of a hero. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because that's what I want to share with you this morning. And the first attribute or the first component of what we are called to do and be as heroes is this. Heroes, number one, are compelled by love. Yeah, what, what motivates us? The, the air in our tires, the, the wind at our back, is that we are compelled by love. Now, this is John 4 and 4 when in the NIV it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Other translations will will say other components, they use other words, but they all drive towards the same place. He was compelled to go to Samaria. He had to go to Samaria. Something was, was pushing him or pulling him or driving him to go to Samaria. And, and what that was, was love. He was compelled by love to go to Samaria and have this encounter with this woman. Now, this is the same kind of love from God that has been on display from the very beginning of time. When you go back and study the creation account, there's a reason why God does everything that he does as elaborately as he does in the moment of creation. Because the Bible declares that literally the heavens declare the wonders of our God. That that everything about what God did in creation was a display of God's love. He wanted us. To, to come into contact, to see, to experience just how much he loved us. And so creation and everything about it was God's love on display. But nevertheless, when Adam and Eve sinned, in the moment of their sin, in the moment that they choose uh, the enemy's way, is the moment that they reject God's love. God literally, right after they, they sin, is looking for him. Adam, where are you? He can't stand to be separated from 
from us. And so he, he goes and looks for him and says, no, wait a minute, who told you you were naked? And, and did you eat from that tree that I, that I forbid you to eat from? Because in the moment that Adam and Eve uh, choose the world's way, Satan's way, they reject God's love. But God is so awesome that he already had a plan B. The Bible says that before the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. So, so, so God, in his wise providence, in his omniscience, he, he knew that there was going to be a plan B that was needed. And all through the Old Testament, everything about the Old Testament points to God's plan B, which was Jesus Christ. Every story, every uh, 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 hint, if you will, about what was to come, every prophecy, everything points to Jesus, which is God's plan B. Because even though Adam and Eve rejects the Father's love, God still wants us to encounter it. So he says, I'm going to reveal my love to you then, since you rejected it, Adam and Eve. I'm going to reveal my love to you through Jesus Christ. Now, this is where we get scriptures like John 3.16 from. For God so loved the world. There it is again, the love of God. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So God says, I am going to send my son. None of you really know what what I look like. So I'm going to send my son, Jesus, to earth, down 42 generations as the visible, actionable form of my love. This is the greatest news that the world has ever known. You mean God's not mad at me? No. You mean God is not some mean ogre up in the sky ready to smite me and ready to, ready to kick me to the curb and ready to judge me and condemn me? Absolutely not. He is madly in love with you. So much so that, that he sent his son Jesus to, to demonstrate in real and in living color what that love looks like. I got maybe five, six amens right there. And that's a little bit of what happened in the earlier service. Because here's the problem, and let me describe it this way. There was a story told of a, of a little boy who came home one Sunday from Sunday school. And he told his mother about how in Sunday school he learned about Moses and God using Moses to liberate the children of Israel from Egyptian captivity. And he says, and, and, and mom, I learned about how Moses use engineers to build bridges over the Red Sea. And that's how the children of Israel were able to to cross it. And then how Moses called in bombers to bomb Pharaoh and his army. And that's how Pharaoh and his army were defeated. And his mother just listened for a moment. And she said, but now wait a minute, sweetie. Now, I know that your teacher did not teach you that, the bridges and the bombers. That's not in the Bible. She didn't teach that to you, did she? And he says, well, No, she didn't exactly tell the story that way, mom. But if you would have heard the way she told the story, you wouldn't have believed it. (laughs) What's the point? Sometimes the familiarity with the incredible will dull our excitement of it. Sometimes sometimes we, we we can become so familiar with the incredible good news of how much God loves us to the degree that it becomes stale, particularly to those of us that ought to be compelled by it to tell other people about it. And part of the reason that this good news, part of the reason why for for some believers, this act of, hey, give out this desire by God car, for, 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 for some believers, this is an uphill battle. Oh, my goodness. I'm being challenged to do something that is not just about me and what I want. For for some believers, this is a challenge, and I'll tell you why. Because part of the reason that the good news has gotten stale, in a sense, is because many people believe that church membership is, is, is the sum total of their religious experience. That, that, well, okay, as long as I, this is what many people believe, as long as I receive the love of God and I get connected to a faith family, then I'm done. I, I've done everything that, that is required of me. No, 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 no. That is not the finish line. That's merely the starting line. In other words, that same love that radically touched us, that same love that radically led us to Jesus, beyond getting connected to a church family, which you need, 
But beyond that, it ought to compel us to share that same love with other people. I got 25 amens right over in this section. So, so let me explain it to you this way. Electric power passes through a cord to get to the appliance that is in need. That's how your toaster works. You plug the, the, the cord into the wall. That's how your refrigerator works. You plug it in. And what happens it, when, when you plug it in is that electric power passes through the cord and goes to the appliance in need. That, that's, how, that's how it works. Electric power, power passes through the cord to get to the appliance that is needed. But, but if there is a defect, if there is something wrong with the cord, the cord will short circuit, meaning the power won't get to the appliance that is in needed. It'll short circuit, and a short circuit, instead of giving power, can cause fires. Some of you are wondering where I'm going. This is where I'm going. A defective believer will prevent the power of the love of God from flowing to the people that are needed and a defective believer instead of being a conduit of that power will short circuit and start causing fires and it will be the reason instead of people running to God that they run away from him because because they see fire oh and, 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 and let me see if, I don't know if, if you guys are ready for this because this is kind of where we got stuck earlier. Part of the reason why I believe there is this high preponderance of short circuitry in the life of believers is because we think that the love of God is like the world's definition of love. We, 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 think, we think that, that the way that God loves is the way that we have been conditioned to love in, in the world. And that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. See, the, the way that we've been conditioned to love in the world is that love is the sum total of the abundance of like. So, so if I like you enough, if there's enough of you that I like, then I open my heart to love you. Huh. I remember when, when, when my wife, when we were dating, when she first told me that she loved me, I wasn't ready to, to say it to her yet. Because in my mind, what I'm thinking is, well, now I like you, but I don't know if I like you to that degree. Some of you looking strange at me, but you've thought the same thing. I don't know. I don't know if I like them to that degree. Maybe not your wife. Hopefully not your wife. But my point is, somebody in your life, you, you know what it feels like to like them. But but one day, I don't know if I really love them. Some 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 of you may say I like the worship center. I'm not sure I love it yet because the way that we have been conditioned to get to love is there's got to be an accumulation. There's got to be an accumulation of, of, of like. That, that if, if I like it enough, then ultimately I'll get to loving it. But that's not how the love of God works. That's not how it works. I, I'll give you a prime example. So we've been putting out on social media uh, just, to, just to have some interesting discussions. Because we've been engaging our social media family um, just like we've been asking you. Hey, share the card. You know, pass on the love of God. Do something nice, you know, buy them a lunch, get them a meal, and just give them a card and invite them to join us on August 12th. And so what we've been doing for the last several weeks is we've been putting out provocative images, um, images of different people in different situations with the question, are they desired by God? So what's interesting, we put out a series of images, and we'll put some more out in the next coming weeks. But, but like, you know, I think a week or so ago, the image we put out, was a, um, a young girl who had a child and she wasn't married. And the question was, is she desired by God? And, you know, there were people who responded like, oh, praise the Lord. And, oh, yeah, God loves her. And, you know, he, he understands we all make mistakes. And it was really nice. Maybe, maybe we had, I don't know, four or five responses. Not a whole bunch of people. Well, this past week... We put the image out of a same-sex couple. This is when it's going to get kind of tight right in here. 
We put the image out of a same-sex couple, and uh, same question. Are they desired by God? Man, the saints went in. You hear me? <laughs> they went off. Some of you can't say nothing because it was you too. It was you and your cousins and your family and them. They went off. You hear me? I mean, some folk like DM'd me, what saith you, pastor, of these things? We need explanation up in here. Up. What, what manner of message is this? You know, I mean, like, what do you mean by this? And I just simply responded and I said, you know, um, do they deserve the love of God? And, and the judgment, the condemnation was so harsh because they didn't like it. And what they were doing was that they were comparing the question about the love of God with their understanding, well, if I like it enough, then I'll love it. But since I don't like it, many people thought they were justified in not loving it. Because I don't like it. Oh, I'm teaching better than you're responding. That's all right. I, I came here already for you to say absolutely nothing to me. But here's what I want you to understand. The love of God doesn't work that way. The love of God is not the abundance of how much he likes us. God, God is not up in heaven saying, oh, they're almost at the love place. I'm telling you, the way they put that dress on, those shoes he put on, ooh, I like, I really like that. Ooh, I'm close to loving you. No, that's not how, that's not how the love of God works. As a matter of fact, oftentimes, God's love skips over whether or not he likes us. Can I just be brutally honest with you? There are several things about you and I that God does not like, but he loves us anyway. Notice that John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so liked the world. No, 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 no. For God so loves the world. God dislikes us. But even in his dislike of some of the things we do that are not right, that are not godly, that are not reverent, that, that don't lift him up, he still loves us. God, God is at the same time dissatisfied, but he's also in love with us. He's so dissatisfied that he loved us enough to send the cross. Do you understand me? God says, I love you, but I, I don't like that. Now, here's the point. We're supposed to love the same way. Oh, there's the rub. There it is. There it is. God says, that's how I want you to love. So here comes this woman. All of that was just to get into John. Here comes this woman. An outcast. A social pariah. She's been rejected by her own people. She's, she has been rejected from the church. The, the mere fact that she comes to the well at noon is really important. Don't let that detail be lost on you. Because in that culture, it was normative for everybody to come. Uh, the community would come in the morning. But because of this woman, because of her lifestyle, because of her past, because, because according to the community, her lifestyle was alternative. You, you'll get it next week. Um, she comes out at noon because she's trying to not be seen by anybody. Because everybody else has written her off. Everybody else has said, you, you are beyond redeemable. Everybody else has said, you are, you are horrible. So, so she comes out at noon, not, not trying to see anybody. And, and, and she's embarrassed. She's gone through much. But it's in that moment that she meets Jesus. That's what's so awesome about the, the love of God. Jesus knew that she was going to come out at that time. And he said, I, I got to get there before her. Because when she gets there, hoping to not meet anybody, because everybody else has judged her, condemned her, rejected her, I want to love her. Jesus didn't come to embarrass her. Jesus didn't come to judge her. Jesus didn't come to condemn her. He came to love her. He came to love her. And here's the challenge. Everybody's willing to judge. Everybody's willing to condemn. But it gets real quiet when you start talking about, but how many of y'all who want to judge and condemn are willing to love? Okay. That's the same response I got earlier. All right. This is, I'm telling you, this is where we got kind of hung up. We may not get beyond this. I want to show you something in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 and verse 18 is something called the Great Commission. Say that with me. Say the Great Commission. 
And the Great Commission is when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we know in other passages, he literally says to the disciples, I have given it now to you. And he goes on and says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And surely, or lo, is a translation I grew up with, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the age or the world. This is called the Great Commission. Now, listen to me. This is often the justification that people reach back and grab for why believers are called to judge and condemn other people. Well, you know Jesus gave us the Great Commission, and you know the Great Commission is we're supposed to spread the gospel, and we're supposed to give the truth, and I just got to keep it 100. I, you know, it's me and Jesus, Jesus and me, and I just got to tell you about Jesus. But they think that the Great Commission gives them the right to judge and condemn and be ugly to people in the name of Jesus. But there's also something called the Great Commandment. The great commandment, say, say that, say the great commandment. So uh, you got the great commission, but you also have something called the great commandment. That's John 13 and verse 34. When Jesus says, now a new command I give you. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. All right. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says it's very simple. I want you, this is the great commandment. He only has one. He says, I want you to love others as I have loved you. How has he loved us? He forgave us. He didn't condemn us. He didn't judge us. If Jesus came up in here judging none of us, none of us would escape judgment. But he didn't come judging and condemning. He came loving. The Bible literally says that he, he weeps over, over a city because he says it, it's like a, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He, he, he cares so much because he came to love. What's the point? You got the great commission, but you also got the great commandment. What's the point? The point is real mature believers understand which order to exercise those things. See, if you exercise the great commission, but you cannot exercise the great commandment, nobody's going to receive the truth of the gospel. I'm teaching better than you responded. And so, well, I try to tell them, Pastor, I try to tell them God wasn't pleased with them and God wouldn't, but get your life together, get it together. I tried to tell them, but they wouldn't hear me, Pastor. Because you went full-blown great commission, but there was no great commandment. You got to know which order to share it. Because if you can go with the great commandment, love others as I have loved you, then God will make room in their heart to receive the great commission. <laughs> Teach, Pastor Van, I am. Look at somebody and ask them, what, what order are you flowing in? What order are you flowing in? It, it's got to be the great commandment first. Because when people experience the great commandment, when you begin to love folk just like Jesus loved you, in spite of you, in lieu of your mess, people will come to you and say, tell, tell me about, tell me about that. Uh, okay. All right. Oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get past this. I was, um, I was teaching in, a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching in London. Uh, and I was teaching in London, had great meetings in London, and, uh, Flying back to the United States, and on the flight from, on the flight from uh, London Heathrow to Atlanta, great flight, no issues, comfortable, very easy flight. Got to Atlanta, had to do the last leg of Atlanta to Birmingham. Initially, got on, didn't think anything of it, and uh, I always like to kind of sit in the aisle, and. Uh, you know, I noticed, I noticed that there was an open seat beside me, and I just, you know, figured that somebody would come at some point. So then this guy comes on, and he's, like, got all these bags, and uh, he says, I'm right there. I'm like, okay, yes, sir. All right. And uh, then he starts trying to find a place in the overhead cabin to put his bags, and they were already closed. And the main little overhead space where he wanted to put his bag, my two bags were there. 
And he started trying to pull my bags. I said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. That's full and those are my bags. And he just got an attitude. Uh, uh, and, you know, he's just blowing out steam. And, I, uh, uh, and, and then, he, then he took his two bags and threw them over me into the seat. And then he didn't say excuse me, didn't say pardon me. He just brushed past me and sat down. And because his two bags were big, they wouldn't fit under the seat. So then he was just kind of kicking them around and was kicking me in the process. And, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if it was that he was mad because all of the overhead bins were taken. I don't know if he was upset because he didn't plan to sit next to a black man in business class. I don't know. I suspect it was a combination of the two. And it was such a disruption that everybody else in the business class was like, what is going on with this dude? He was so ugly that when... The flight attendant came by, and, you know, they normally tell you, oh, sir, I'm sorry, you, you, have, to, you have to put those in the overhead compartment. Nothing can be at your feet in taxi and take off on landing. And she got ready to say it to him, and he looked at her like, if you say anything to me. And the flight attendant leaned in and then said, okay, and just kept walking. <laughs> and I'm looking like, is anybody going to say something to this joker? Because, like, he's got two big old bags. I know this ain't FAA right. Every flight attendant walked by, saw his stuff, and didn't say a mumbling word. And the whole flight, just a little short flight, 28 minutes or so from Atlanta to Birmingham, he's kicking and huffing and puffing and looking at me kind of crazy. I mean, and I, I was tired, jet lagged, but Holy Spirit was like, don't you dare go to sleep. Don't you, don't, don't you go to sleep. You don't know what this man's going to do to you. So I didn't say a word, and I just went into prayer. And he didn't say anything. He just had his attitude. And we landed in Birmingham. And I got my bag and got off the flight. And I was walking down the little terminal thing to get to baggage claim. And there was a man who came up to me. And he said, sir, he said, I just want to tell you, the way you handled that guy, brother, I don't know, man. Because if it was me, man, I, man, we'd be fighting on that plane. He said, brother, I just don't know how you did it, but I just want to commend you. And it gave me an opportunity to say, well, let me tell you how I did it. His name was Jesus. And the dude said, really? Tell me about him. Do you hear what I'm trying to teach you? I didn't like how the man was treating me, but I knew I had to love him anyway. And it was that love that opened the heart of the other guy. And he said, tell, tell, me, about, tell me about that man named Jesus. What, what order? What order? Are you trying to share it? Are you so busy focusing on the Great Commission and getting truth to people that you can't love them? And you know, the thing about it is that's how God loved us. When he found us in our stuff. When we were up to our neck in sin, tore up from the flow up. The Bible says it's the love of God. This, I'm all off script, but I just I'm, I feel God moving right here. The Bible literally says that it is the in Romans. The Bible says it is the love of God that leads us to repentance. Oh, okay. So, so uh, I don't know. Can y'all handle any more of this? Is this too much? Let me see if I give you a little bit more, and then we're gonna shut it down. Heroes go out of the way. So, so. There's so much more in that, in that one phrase. He had to go through Samaria. He's compelled. The disciples didn't want him to go. But he had to because, number one, heroes are compelled by love. But here's the other thing. Heroes, number two, go out of the way. The pastor handing out these cards, that's not really my personality. That's not who I am. You know, I'm kind of introvert. I just, you know, like stay to myself. You, un you understand. <laughs> heroes... Go out of the way. Go back to John 4, and let's go back to verse 3 that leads into John 4 and 4. It says, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. I want you to understand this because there's so much revelation in just those two verses. It says, so he left Judea. And he went back once more to Galilee. Now, they're going to put a, a map up on the screen 
Because I want you to see this. And, and for those of us, we're, we're going to be leading a, almost 200-something people, 200-so many people or so are going with us to Israel in October. And they're going to be able to see this firsthand. But I want you to see this map that they're going to put up. Because it says, so he left Judea. You see Judea at the bottom? And it says he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. You see Galilee kind of the top right on the tire? So, so Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee. And what's right there in the middle? Samaria. Now, here's what Jews would do in that day and time when they were trying to go from Judea to Galilee. Do you see to the right of Judea, the Dead Sea? And that blue line that runs from the Dead Sea to the Sea of Galilee, that's the Jordan River. So here's what Jews would do because they had such racial hatred and animosity towards the Samaritans. The Samaritans, let me just pause here and help you understand this. Samaritans as an ethnicity were created when Jerusalem was attacked. This is Old Testament. When the Jews were exiled into Babylon... There were a remnant that stayed behind, but they were forced into servitude by their captors. And there was that remnant that stayed behind, forced into servitude, that literally married some of their captors. And to the Jews, that was impure. You're marrying another race. You're marrying another, uh, uh, another ethnicity. You're, you're marrying another people group. You're marrying a people that don't adhere to God the way that we do. That's how the Samaritan race and ethnicity came about. So Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. They hated them. So what they would do when they would leave Judea is they would go in the direction of Perea, cross the Jordan River, then go up through Perea, up through the Decapolis, and then cross back over the Jordan River and go into Galilee. All to avoid the Samaritans. They would go all the way around just to avoid people that were different racially. They would go all out of the way. We, well, we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't eat with them. No, we don't do that. So even at our inconvenience, we're going to go the long way, add it twice as much time to get home or to get to get to Judea to Galilee because we don't we don't roll with the Samaritans but it says that Jesus had to even though the the disciples and other Jews didn't do it and didn't want him to do it he said no I, I got it I got to because the thing that I understand about real heroes the thing that I understand about the heart of the father is that is that love will, will, will not only compel us to do it but love will literally go out of the way There was racial hatred and racial prejudice back then just like there is now. I don't have time to go through all of the different prejudices that have invaded the church. But the biggest is race. This is why I love the fact that God is raising us up to be a church for all people. But, but, but you know how you deal with race? Particularly racial prejudice? Put a big G in front of race. You missed it. You, let... Let God, I got three amens right there, oh, praise God. Oh. Let, let God, big G, God, get in front of race and you get grace. Hallelujah. God, the, the grace of God covers all of these issues, particularly the racial issues. When, when our hearts are overwhelmed with, wait a minute, in my stuff, in my foolishness, in, in, in my mistakes, in my hatred, in my prejudices, God loved me. So wait a minute. If I put God in front of that, I get, I get grace. See, God sees our humanity the way that astronauts see the earth. See, when, when astronauts, when you get that high into the atmosphere, when you, get, when you get that deep into space and you look back on earth, you don't see divided continents. You see one big landmass in water. That's how God sees us. God, God doesn't see us based on our petty divisions. 
Oh, this is better than your respondent. God doesn't see the petty divisions of, of what race are you and where did you grow up and do you like Alabama or Auburn? God doesn't see those petty divisions. God says, I don't care who you like. I don't care if he's your coach or not your coach. I don't care if you like the advance he got and the contract extension or you don't like it. Doesn't matter if you think it's too much money or not. Yeah, I'll catch that later, I guess. God says, I still love you because I see you connected. Regardless of the fact that this woman was a Samaritan, racially hated, Jesus says, I, I, I got to get to her. I, I got I to get to her. I got I to go after her because I love her to that degree. And that's the same thing. You're looking at me like, well, what does this mean for me? It's the same thing God did for you. Regardless of your race, regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of any other perceived divisions, that's what God did for you. You know, when people say, ooh, I can't, man, I'm telling you, when I found the Lord, my life changed, whatever. You didn't find the Lord. He wasn't lost. You were. You didn't find God. He found you. He literally came to where you were and said right there in the middle of your sin, the Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that Christ died for us while we were yet in sin. God said, I'm going to meet you right here, and I'm going to pick you up and pull you out because i I got a purpose for you. I've got a design for your life, and I will not allow you to languish beneath your privilege. So come here. I love you too much to leave you. I love you too much for you to bottom out in that stuff. The, the enemy's got a design for you, but my purpose for you is greater than anything that the enemy has even tried to lay out for you. So he says, come here. I got three amens. That's where he found me. And he said, he said, come here. I got plans for you. I got an assignment for you. He's in the business of going after people. Went after a liar named Abraham. Went after a murderer named Moses. He went after a cheater named Jacob. Do you hear me? He, he went after, he went after a, a money manipulator named Zacchaeus. He, he went after a terrorist named Saul. Teach pastor. And not only did he go after them, he went after you. But wait a minute, not only did Jesus go after this woman, but he went ahead of her. Huh. He, he knew she was going to be coming out around that time. And not only did he go after her, but he went ahead of her because when she got to where she was, he wanted to be there. This is for somebody who, who found themselves or finds themselves present tense in a situation that you didn't expect to be in. And you're wondering, well, how am I going to deal with it? God brought me here to tell you. Now, it's not a surprise to him. It may be a surprise to you. But remember, he is Alpha and Omega, meaning he's already gone ahead of you. And, and he's gone ahead of you because he wants you to know that even in what is a surprise to you, he's with you. David said, David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For wait a minute, you're with me. When you read that psalm, so much about that psalm is about David. It's about David for, for, for though I walk through, for, for what I'm going through. And much of the psalm, David talks about his stuff and his problems and his drama. I didn't expect to be here. I can't believe I'm going through this. But then he has a realization. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But you're with me. This is not a surprise to you. Wait a minute. Your rod and your staff shall comfort me. Then the psalm shifts, shifts and he says, wait a minute. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my... I wish you could get it like I'm trying to give it to you. If you understand that he's already gone ahead of you, then you ought to not be focused so much on, wait a minute, how am I going to deal with this? Because his rod and his staff are going to comfort you. Your mind ought to shift to, wait a minute, you're going to take this and use it in a way that's going to bring you greater glory. For surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. David says, wait a minute, God, wait a minute. This is not a surprise. God, you're in this. I'm teaching to some of you that, that have been overly focused on where you find yourself to the detriment of realizing that God is right there. The Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. So here comes this woman, hurt, depressed, brokenhearted, let down, rejected, and Jesus is right there. She thinks it's just going to be another day of more rejection and Jesus is there. I don't know who this is for, but your season is shifting. I hear God saying that, yes, there's a, there's a season 
of difficulty. There, there, there's a season for everything. To everything there is a season and a place. But Jesus is there. And because she encounters him in that moment, everything begins to shift. And he's so cool. He just, he, he's so cool. He says, well, hey, 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 hey. Hey, how are you? Hey, would you, would you give me a drink of water? You got to understand that this was radical. See, we read this text and we read it with the benefit of history looking back, knowing that, man, she's talking to Jesus, right? But she doesn't know that at the time. She doesn't know that she's conversing with the master. She doesn't know that she's conversing with the savior of the world. She's just wondering, why is this man asking me for a drink of water? Because of who I am. Men don't associate with me in public. Now, late night they call me. Y'all, y'all. But men don't associate with me in public. Mm. He says, could you give me a drink? Notice it's not deep. Notice he didn't lead in with, thus saith the Lord. You know, we can get so deep sometimes and we like really shallow. Jesus just says, would you... Hey, would you give me something to drink? And over the simplicity of asking for water, he's displaying that God loves her so much that while she's rejected, while she's lost, while she feels like nobody cares, God does. Let me pause here to say this. Somebody out in the world, somebody on your job, somebody in the sphere of your influence gas station, coming and going, McDonald's, wherever you are, somebody in that sphere is just like this Samaritan woman. God, do you care? Do you love me? Everybody else has rejected me. Do you even know that I exist? That's why God sent you there ahead of them to show the love of God. Here's the thing. Three amens. Thank you for the amens. Thank you for the three. I'm going to close with this. Heroes display faith and action. Can't teach it to you, preach it to you like I feel it, but I just want you to see this. Look at John 4 and 9. The Samaritan woman said, now wait a minute. I appreciate the fact that you asked me for water, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. She has been so rejected because of her racial heritage Unto the fact that now Jews, Jesus, as a Jew, is speaking to her, and she doesn't even really understand how to receive that. Wait a minute, what are you doing? And Jesus answered her, and this is John 4.10, and he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. It's a gift. Look at somebody around you and tell them it's a gift. You, you can't earn a gift. You can't perform for a gift. It's a gift. He says it's a, it's a gift. What God wants to do in your life, it's a gift. Salvation is free. It's a gift. She says, I don't understand. Why are you talking to me? He says, it's a gift. And she says, well, well give, me, give me that living water. Give, give it to me. Since it's a gift, I love her. She's like, I got it now. If it's a gift, give it to me. I'll just play something quietly. And, and, and he says, okay, I'm going to give it to you, but I want you to go and get your husband. Listen to me. And come back. And she says, oh, here we go. She says, all right, well, pick me up in around verse 15. She says, um, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. And then she says, okay, well, I got to fess up. I have no husband. And Jesus replied, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five. And the man that you now have is not even yours. What you just said is quite true, she says. Here's what's going on. In Jeremiah 2 and verse 13, I want you to hear this. God says, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountains of living water, and they have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
This woman is like so many people out in the world that don't know Jesus. Because this woman has been going from relationship to relationship, man to man, because she's trying to find that which is fulfilling. But you will never find fulfillment. You will never have a vessel to hold water until you first encounter Jesus. So every relationship was literally a broken cistern. She was pouring water in, saying, oh, he's tall and he talks nice. Maybe this time I'll be fulfilled. But, but the, the, the feeling was fleeting. It was empty. There was excitement in the beginning, but it dropped out at the bottom because, because there's no fulfillment apart from Jesus. And there are people in the world who have been going from job to job, from career to career, from car to car, trying to find fulfillment, and it's a broken cistern. It won't hold anything substantial because living water is only found in Jesus. And lest you think that I'm only talking about the people that God is calling you to give these cards to, let me talk about you for a second. Because I know that, that, that there's some Samaritans up in here, up in here. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your own. Somebody's like, I don't understand that. Jesus is saying, you've been living life by virtue of your five senses. If you can see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, feel it. That's how you've been going about your life. Well, it feels good to me. This tastes good. I heard that this was the way to go, but it's empty. He said, you have five husbands. You've been married to them. They haven't fulfilled you. He says, in the number six, you're on now. It's not your own. Six is the number of man. So now, because you tried it your way, now what you're doing is finding every fad. Well, they said, if you do this, what man says, it'll work. Well, they said, if you do this, it'll work. They said, if I go here, it'll work. You, you've, been, you've been following six, the number of man. That's not your own. It's a broken cistern. And so you're sitting here, you look dressed up, you're sitting at Derby, you look good, you don't want anybody to know that on the inside of your heart, you're just as empty as they come. Because you've been going from place to place, fad to fad, looking for fulfillment, and Jesus brought me here to tell you that only real fulfillment is found in him. And, and today is the day for you to drop your cracked water pot and say, give me this living water. Because if you drink from this well called Jesus, you'll never thirst again. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.